we almost like think of ourselves as a TV channel. <laughs> and I think that that's a very good way to think of yourself as a brand nowadays. Hey, my name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn how to find freelancers to build your lead magnets, how to build a 200,000-person email list using free printables, and how to run a 60,000-member Facebook group without losing control. Today, I'm joined by Alexander Idens from Big Life Journal. Big Life Journal is the world's first growth mindset journal for kids, tweens, and teens, and was started in 2017 and based out of New York. So you got the idea when you were first expecting your, I think, very first shell. Tell us about how that happened. Um, so the idea for Big Life Journal was born in 2016, so two years ago. And that's when I was pregnant with our child. Um, well, my husband is my co-founder, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to talk about him and I as, you know, t- mm-hmm. doing this together. Uh, so we were expecting our first child and we were kind of sitting down and having conversations about how we want to raise our children and what kind of skills and attitude and mindset we want to instill in them. And in, my, in our son specifically. Um, and that's the time when we kind of, uh, you know, discovered growth mindset and, and the importance of mindset and, po- you know, positive mindset and how important it is to start early. Um, and we were looking for different tools, you know, that would be helpful for parents to help, you know, the raised kids with this type of mindset. And at that point, there was nothing available that would that would be helpful. So we decided, okay, we're going to create something, um, and that's how it all started. Got it. And did you either of you have experience starting businesses in the past? Um, so I was um, at that moment. I was working in corporate, and my husband was too. Um, but on this, I was doing a lot of things on the side. Um, you know, I was starting lots of different businesses in different industries and all of them were failing one after another. Um, so, but for me, it was just about the experience and I was kind of trying things and trying to find what I would be interested in doing. So I never took those failures, you know, something personal and like they never crashed me. It was more about, you know, oh, that's interesting. That didn't work. Let's try something else. <laughs> that, that's that's a great attitude. And I think it's important that you look at it that way where you don't see your failures as failures. You're actually learning lessons from it. Can you talk a little bit about some of those? Like what are some of the lessons you learned through the the failed, you know, quote unquote failed business uh, ventures in the past? Um, well, I was learning all the things. So, you know, I was learning all about social media and I was learning about, you know, how to talk to customers because one of, you know, I was directly um, contacting cold calling and it was the worst thing in the world, but I wanted to try this. I wanted to try to cold call and kind of try to, uh, you know, sell what I was selling. Um, and I was learning through that a lot, you know, by talking to customers, but, and realizing that, you know, um, the best thing what you can do is to actually ask the customers what they want first and then go and create it versus the opposite of what I was doing. I, I had an idea and I was creating something and then going and looking for customers. <laughs> so that this time around when we were doing the Big Life Journal, uh, we did, you know, the right way. Um, you know, we kind of did a lot of research before we made the journal. 
Got it. And this approach of asking them what they want first, how do you do this? Like, are you just coming to them, calling them up and, and asking them, what do you want? I'm sure it's like a little bit more involved in this. Like, can you talk to us about that process of getting that kind of valuable information out of them? Um, so what we did was, okay, so we had an idea for the journal, right? So um, we kind of had a basic idea of what we would like to include in there and what's going to be the purpose of it. So the first step we did was we talked to the, uh, you know, friends and family and um, a lot of parents, that all the parents that we knew, we talked to. And uh, my husband's family, uh, there are a lot of teachers in, in his family. So we talked to them and they had so much experience working with kids. So they they were giving us a lot of feedback. Um, and then we, you know, created a Kickstarter campaign. Um, so the Kickstarter was a very good kind of indication of the, you know, valid. it was a great validation of our idea. Got it. So I think the important thing here, it sounds like you didn't start with like a complete blank canvas. You had an idea for a product, but you wanted to validate it and then kind of smooth out the rough edges and figure out exactly what features, what's important to people. But you didn't start off with like no idea at all and then just going out there and asking questions, right? Uh, that's right. We had a pretty good idea of what we wanted, but we uh, changed it based on the feedback. I mean, we had, you know, spreadsheet of <laughs> where we were recording what people were saying, um, you know, sp very specific comments and kind of discussing those comments afterwards, after the calls. Um, so we really took it seriously and we did adju adjust. Um, so our idea really transformed based on the feedback. Got it. So I want to jump back a little bit to the other businesses that you started in the past that didn't take off to the extent that that Big Life Journal took off. What do you think about, was it about this particular business? Was it the lessons you learned? Was it the product? Was it a market? Like, what do you think was the, the most important piece that allowed this one to finally lead you down the right path? It was a. It's the product that people actually wanted, um, and there was no guarantee that this one will actually be successful. Because when we had this idea, of course, it was just two people sitting on the couch and talking about this. But then we said, okay, well, well, let's just take it, you know, and and validate it like we did everything else before. Um, so this time, it turned out that there was a need, and you know, based and it it was helpful that both uh, my husband, Scott, and I, we are coming from, you know, we were about to become parents. So it was our own need. Um, and we were just trying to understand if other parents are looking for the same thing. And they were looking for the same thing. So um, it was just, um, you know, a good idea that we executed on. Yeah, it's funny. Before we hit record, I was just telling you that I also have an eight and a half month old and it, it, this product really resonates with me because especially for people that are in this, uh, are either entrepreneurs or really involved in business and involved in in personal growth, a lot of listeners on here are fit that mold. Is almost like you want to translate that to your child that you're bringing up. So I think you really did find a niche that, that needed to be fulfilled. So when you're going through this process of validation with this business, with the other past products that, that uh, for your previous business ideas, did you use the same framework for validation each time? Like tell us about like how you, how you built the, the, I guess the framework for validating your ideas. 
Um, it was, I mean, this time it was uh, much more robust and we had a Kickstarter campaign. So we had to prepare for the Kickstarter and, um, you know, that took a lot of our effort and time. So, um, you know, we kind of thought that, okay, if, if friends and family think that's a good idea, then let's take it further and let's ask the broader community and people that don't know us, would they invest or not? And, um, you know, that was that what that's what we were looking for, kind of looking for um, people that are not friends and family. They don't know us, but they just know about the idea. Would they be interested in, you know, in, in this journal? And, um, you know, the Kickstarter campaign that really showed us that it was a good idea. Got it. So you put together this Kickstarter campaign. But before that, their only kind of validation you're getting was just talking to friends and family. What, what, what were you looking for in terms of the campaign to, to validate it? Was it just hitting your funding goal? Was it particular things people were saying? Like, what were some things that you, you looked for to validate that you were on the right path? Um, so for me personally, um, it was just, if, even if it was one people, one person that you know, pledged to our campaign, uh, and the person that person who didn't know us, right? Even if it was a one stranger who thought it was good, that for me, person that would have been enough. And actually, the first uh, campaign that we had uh, wasn't successful um, so for this product for Big Life Journal. So the first one that we ran, um, we didn't raise enough money. We didn't raise to meet the goal, and um, the campaign ba basically was canceled. Um, but the second one right after that, so we kind of took a break and and um, I had a baby. So during that time between the first campaign, the second campaign, you know, I was taking care of a newborn and finishing the journal, preparing for the second Kickstarter. And then we had second Kickstarter, you know, seven months later. And that kick that campaign was 300% funded. So it was very successful. Um, and, you know, that, of course, gave us a lot of hope. Right. And just to put some numbers behind the first campaign that was not a success, raised uh, a little bit over $6,000 out of 15000 goal. And then the second one, which was a success, also had the $15,000 goal, but then raised three times, like you said, of almost $45,000. And then you also had a third one, which we'll talk to talk about in a bit. Well, what do you, what's the difference then between that first one and that second one that allowed you to not only pass surpass your goal, or not only to meet your goal, but but surpass it by so much? Um, well, so when we entered the first campaign, we we knew very little. What we knew was we we did research on other campaigns, and we we saw how successful they were, and <laughs> that gave us a lot of inspiration. And we kind of thought, oh, you know, you just have to have an idea, and you're basically all set on Kickstarter, um, which was completely wrong. And um, you know, we did not know what it takes to to have a successful Kickstarter campaign. So once it's fail, it failed, um, you know, we kind of said, okay, well, you know what, it, it just means that we just, you know, we just didn't know. So now we, let's take some time to research and to, you know, study how to actually put the successful campaign together. Um, you have to have a good idea. So that's a prerequisite number one, but that's not enough uh, for Kickstarter. You also have to have, um, you know, people who are interested in your idea and you have to kind of build a community before you launch. So that's what we did the second time around. We, you know, kind of started building, we took a couple months to build a community around our idea, people who are interested basically, and got them very excited. And 
launch the second campaign. Got it. So the first campaign, I think, met your at least one of your your goals, which is to validate it. People were people that you didn't know were willing to give up their hard-earned dollars to 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 purchase a product from yours that wasn't completely built yet. So the validation was there. So I'm assuming that gave you the confidence to say, okay, let's invest our our time and invest more energy into doing this you know, quote unquote, the right way the second time around, which you mentioned was to build a community. So talk about that. So once you realize, okay, we didn't reach our goal, but a lot of people want this product. What were the next steps that you decided to take to ensure that the next launch would be, would be better? Like, how did you start building a community? We did a lot of research. I mean, we took course, a course about Kickstarter. Um, we read everything that was available, you know, on forums, on different Facebook groups, or people actually were running Kickstarter campaigns, what they were suggesting. So that was step number one, is just to learn as much as we can what it takes. And then basically, um, I know it's not a secret for anyone, is, you know, the email list is the number one asset in anyone's business, and a Kickstarter is not accepted. So you have to, you got to start building your email list of people who are interested uh, in your product. Uh, and uh, you can do it many different ways. I mean, there, what, how we did it, we started, you know, creating resources and giving them away for free in the exchange of an email address. And those resources were directly related to this product. So we were kind of giving away parents guide to a growth mindset um, and people who are signing up that were interested in the topic, you know, enough to download the, the guide. And then when we campaign, the campaign launched, we invited them to, to take a look at it. Okay, got it. Uh, and you mentioned that you were doing a lot of research and taking courses. Are there any that off the top of your head that you recommend, either courses or specific websites you recommend listeners go and check out if they want to learn more about crowdfunding or Kickstarter? Um, so oh, that's a good question. I, there is a, a Kickstarter, um, there, there are several Kickstarter podcasts that I was listening as I was, um, you know, walking my newborn. I remember, <laughs> um, you know, th that's all I did actually. I was just consuming so much information. So the podcast about Kickstarter, um, and you know, there are Kickstarter uh, podcasts that you can look up and then, um, I recommend to uh, just search Google search uh, and to to see any forms. There are a lot. There's a huge gaming community, <laughs> you know, uh, people who create uh, games and um, you know launch them on Kickstarters because that's just very popular, and they are very open to kind of recommend different strategies. And even though you might not be creating a game, the strategies are all the same. So you could just borrow, you know, what's out there available. Got it. So you were building this email list, which is the, the most valuable asset that you were able to create, like you mentioned, by first creating these uh, resources, these essentially these lead magnets that you were uh, asking people to opt into the email list to get access to the resource. And you said something really important, which was that the resources were directly related to your product. Can you say a little bit more about this? Uh, so of course you want to create an email list of people who are uh, who would be interested in, in your product, uh, and that's why the resource that you're giving away should be as closely related to that topic as possible um, to to get quality email lists, right? So quality emails, um, and 
for us, um, our journal was um, about the growth mindset, about developing, about teaching children, you know, how to become positive and resilient and confident. And that's why we created a resource for parents, kind of a guide of introduction to growth mindset, um, how to do that in on one page. And uh, we you know, uh, hired an Upwork freelance uh, person to design it. And then we just uh, give it away. Got it. Now, did you just sit down with you and your husband, just brainstorm content ideas? Or is there a way to research to find out specifically what kind of free content to, to spend your time making? For me, I was coming from my own perspective. So as, as a parent, um, you know, the growth mindset as a concept was, at, well, two years ago, uh, it was quite new. Um, and um, then not a lot of parents heard about it. So as a parent, you would be interested to learn about it and how to actually can implement it at home. So I was kind of coming from my own perspective, like what would I want to see, um, you know, as a resource? And then, of course, it needs to be one page because no parent has time to read more than one page. And it has to be very graphic and illustrated well so they can put it on their fridge. And so we were kind of like looking from, you know, a typical parent perspective, like who doesn't have any time, but they just can like once they before they open their fridge can just glance at it <laughs> and get you know and remind themselves got it and you mentioned that you went to upwork to hire a designer talk a little bit more about this like if someone out there wants to follow the same path of creating free content and they don't have a design background they don't know how to design but they want to make to make it look good what, what should what should they be looking for like what kind of person what kind of skills should you be looking for on upwork or any freelancing site if you want to hire someone to help you create some of this these uh these very valuable uh, free content um, we work with a lot of uh, upwork freelancers even today um, and we have tried so many people and my only advice is to is to try different people because um you know, you can give them small tasks. That's what you can do. Like you don't have to give them the entire project to design. You can just give them, okay, well, just one page or half a page or whatever, just to see their style and how dedicated they are to you, to the work. Um, and we have tried numerous people. And um, even today, we're still, you know, that's our strategy. If we need a new person, we just find 10 people who look, um, you know, suitable and then we just give all of them a small task and then we see the result mm. and nowadays what do you what do you look for like how do you determine what makes a a good freelancer well it first of all for us it has to uh the actual if we're talking about design specifically um the design has to be very high quality and what we're looking for so if it has to be the style specific style uh, related to your brand so let's say um, in our our brand, we use a lot of kind of watercolor illustrations, and then we use hand lettering. So that has to be, you know, that specific style. And then um, we give them before you, um, you know, send a request to a new de to a designer. Uh, you can provide examples. So if you have a previous previously designed work, you can just give them, you know, your brand you know, brand pages or whatever you have, or your, even your website. If you don't have anything, you can create a mood board or like, let's say like just put different images together on, um, you know, PowerPoint slide and then something that would reflect your vision and send it to them and see if they can kind of translate that into a design. Um, and of course, they have to be on time, they have to be responsive and they uh, have to be willing to make changes after the initial draft. 
Got it. So for someone that's just starting out, you don't have any any examples yet, create that mood board. But once you have kind of a collection of designs of other pieces of content you put out there that you do like, give that as the way to give direction to these uh, freelance designers to to help them understand what you want right from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Yes. Got it. And but approximately how much can it cost? What's the budget that someone should have in mind if they want to create a one-pager, essentially, uh, design uh, through with a freelancer? Um, it really depends. I mean, the, the, the beauty of Upwork and the websites like Upwork uh, is that you can connect to designers around the world. Um, you can request specifically, if you want to work with a U.S.-based designer, you can request that, and you can just look at their U.S.-based designers. Um, if you want to look at other countries, um, you know, you basically look at their uh, hourly rate um, and kind of have an assessment in your head, you know, how much it takes, it would take for them to create your design, or you can simply hire them by hour and, um, you know, say, okay, well, let's agree it's going to be maximum like three hours and, and just let them work on it. Got it. So are we talking about like hundreds of dollars, thousands, like what's the... Um, for one page, I mean, for one page, it can be anything between twenty and eighty dollars. Okay, definitely reasonable then. And you mentioned that these are these are printable resources. You know, I think a lot of times we think about ebooks and things that are digital that we give away. You're specifically designing things that are to be printed out. How do you have to approach these kind of lead magnets, these kind of resources differently when they are meant to be printed out versus just something that you're reading on the computer or your phone? Um, I think it's the same. I don't know if it's any different, um, you know, because everything that we do, um, all the resources that we provide, and we can talk about this a little bit, um, to our community for free, we'll still do that. Um, it, those are printable resources <laughs> that parents and teachers have to print. Um, and... I feel like um, in the teacher community, that's definitely a very common thing to do, uh, you know, to share the resources and print and lesson plans, and they share lesson plans among each other. You know, this is a famous website, Teachers Pay Teachers, where they buy lesson plans from each other and print them later. So um, for us, it's the same. It's it's no different. And people are, nowadays are very used to, you know, printing out resources. Got it. So you were creating these resources, like especially in the early days. How many were we talking about? Like once a week? Like how often were you creating a you know eighty dollar resource? So um, okay, so our Kickstarter campaign was uh, in April twenty seventeen, and sorry, that that was the first one or the second one? That's the second one, right? The okay. one that it was actually the successful one, and um, since you know, and after that, we kind of started actually running an actual business because we had the product um, already and we had customers and, you know, everything was going well. And, um, you know, that summer 2017, I kind of started thinking about, okay, so how do we build, um, continue building our email list and building our community and actually encourage people to open our emails? Um, and that's when I had a thought of creating a free resource every week, uh, similar to how we had a lead magnet to encourage people to sign up for our Kickstarter uh, campaign. We started creating the same kind of style resources uh, weekly. And at that point, um, you know, early on, I I didn't I wasn't hiring designers all the time. Like I was sometimes I was creating them myself uh, using like tools like Canva, for example. 
uh, and, um, you know, and, and just sending out free resources every Friday. And to this day, we still do it. And that's one of our biggest competitive advantages. Got it. Okay. So before doing it consistently, you had, you know, a few that you were making prior to that second Kickstarter campaign so that you could build up a email list that you could launch your second Kickstarter campaign, which was the successful one to that email list. Was so that correct? Is that the strategy that you took to, to, to create these free resources to build the email list and then to launch yes. that second campaign? Okay. So when you're building these, uh, I want to talk about that, that phase when you're starting out and just creating the uh, resources to start, how are you getting traffic to check out these free resources or to, to, to even see that they could opt in to get this, this free, this lead magnet, this free resource? Uh, through Facebook ads, we were running paid marketing um, directly to the um, opt-in page. Um, at that moment, I think at that time, I actually was trying something which was called lead um, campaigns. I don't know if they still have those on Facebook, but uh, mm-hmm. they, people when people see that, they don't even have to leave Facebook. They just enter their email address and they get subscribed to an email and they download the resource directly from Facebook. Um, so we didn't even have to technically have, uh, a landing page. Uh, so it was all done, uh, you know, on Facebook. So that's what we were doing. We were investing dollars to drive traffic. Mm, yeah. Anytime that you can keep a user on Facebook, Facebook will reward you for yes. that basically <laughs> by charging you much less for, for that. So these lead campaigns were, you were helping you collect these emails. Do you remember how quickly or how, 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 how large you're able to grow that email list using this strategy prior to the Kickstarter campaign? Yeah. So our email list was um, 7,000 people before we launched the second campaign. Got it. And would you attribute that most of the about $45,000 in funding came from that email list? Well, I mean, uh, initially, yes. The first days, um, you know, the first days, it's usually your email list. Uh, but then we had uh, different strategies that we were using. We were um, communicating with um, different bloggers and uh, doing affiliate com- campaigns. So basically giving them a share of our revenue uh, in exchange of you know them sharing on their social media, this time at this day and age, it doesn't work very well because now um, you know Facebook doesn't um, doesn't welcome <laughs> promotional posts and doesn't show them organically. So when you start working with affiliates nowadays, it's a completely different result. But back in 2017, uh, it was still the thing. <laughs> so we could still get a lot of traffic from organic posts posted by our affiliates. And that was also, that was probably 30% of the entire funding. Um, and then, you know, and then we had very minor uh, spend on Facebook ads, but it wasn't anything significant. Got it. Do you remember what kind of threshold of metrics you're looking at when you're running these kind of lead campaigns? Like, how do you know if it's going to be profitable or not to you know get a lead for 10 cents or a dollar or how do you know if it's if it's even a how do you how did you back into those numbers um so i had a spreadsheet my fine my background is finance so i have a spreadsheet for everything nice. <laughs> um so i had a spreadsheet where i basically um you know calculated what would be 
um, you know, my my preferred uh, cost per lead, so to say. Um, And based on, you know, average price of the product for that our product was $20 and how many uh, people we needed to sign up. And the important metric or uh, the, imp- the important uh, number that you need to know and to find out is actually the conversion rate. So let's say you have 7,000 7, people sign up to your email list. But the question is, how many will actually buy, right? How mm-hmm. many will actually convert? How many will open your email, right? And then how many out of the open ones will will click? Um, so what I was doing is I just was Googling uh, what is the average conversion rate on Kickstarter from newsletter? And there are numbers like, believe it or not, everything everything is available and there are numbers like this that are available so that some people were reporting their numbers let's say some said some people said okay well 10 percent converted another person said well five percent convert and you kind of like read all this um different numbers and and just to make an assumption i mean that you have your worst case scenario best case scenario you know average case scenario and you kind of like put this all numbers together and I highly recommend to spend some time to create it, you know, to make this type of spreadsheet. And if you're not very finance savvy, uh, find a person that could help you um, because you could spend a lot of money very fast, especially today. Um, and because Facebook actually got even more competitive. So, um, you know, so do your math before you spend a lot of money. Got it. I think the keys, like you mentioned, is your cost per lead, the lead to purchase conversion rate, and then how much is it the average order value. And then for Kickstarter, I guess you can look at the different uh, rewards that you're putting out there. So you mentioned that getting these leads this way w- through providing a free by, by providing free content and then sending them similar content, you know, free resources, things that people would potentially even pay for is the best way that you've been able to find to have high open rates. Uh, can you talk about what what those are? Like, What is considered high open rate with email? Like, What, what are some numbers that people can kind of keep in the back of their head as they are trying to do something similar? Um, so our open rates are um, consistently about 30%. And it doesn't maybe doesn't sound high, but it's it actually not bad. Um, and our email list is very large nowadays. Um, I think it's over 250,000 people. Um, so then we have, you know, click rate, click through rates, and it really depends on what, you know, on email by email, but it could be around 10%, you know, out of 30% uh, who opened, you know, you have 10% who clicked through. Um, so I don't necessarily, you know, kind of check those metrics every month or every week. Uh, what I know is that people are extremely interested in receiving our emails. And even if they don't open or they, uh, you know, they don't open our email, sometimes it just means they can't find them or the, you know, unfortunately, email providers, they filter them mm-hmm. and they put them in different, you know, folders. Um, so we always have, you know, advise them to, you know, do follow certain steps to make sure that they can see their, our emails. But we do receive, um, you know, almost weekly, we, we have people asking us a couple of things. First, people asking us, where's my email, right? They're looking for it. Um, and the second type of question we receive very frequently is people asking us if they've been charged for what they've received. <laughs> and we always say, no, 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 it's all free. And and that's just an indication that how valuable this is. And people just can't, so not used to this. They can't believe that we're giving this away. Um, and we do this every week and, um, you know, it, it's, um, one of the kind of like strategies, which I think made us very successful. 
Yeah, so you do this every week and you've you've trained essentially your your customers, your prospective customers or your existing customers to expect it every week. So are you sending them sending to them on the exact same day and time each time? How important is that? Yes. Well, um, I don't know how important the time is, but we do send it every single Friday, rain or shine, at the same time. Um, and um, I one thing I want to mention is that if you want to implement this strategy, um, you need to have zero expectation for purchase. So approach this not as your like kind of like a selling strategy. You're not trying to sell them uh, in the long term or anything. You're just giving away. That's the like um, the attitude that you should have in this particular strategy, without zero expectation. Um, you know, if you could have people who consume everything you give out and buy nothing from you, and you should be totally okay with that. Because if you're not okay with that, you will have a different kind of attitude and will show. Um, so you you need to kind of prepare yourself for that kind of situation that you'll be a lot of people who are just getting it all free and not purchasing anything, and which is completely fine. Got it. So nowadays you are able to get these leads are you still running these Facebook ads or are there new ways for you to drive the traffic to seeing the the, the lead magnet? Um, so we not not currently, but we will in 2019 uh, because right now we are in November. So November, December, Facebook ads are very expensive. Um, so we're not wasting, so to say, our money on just, you know, getting leads. Um, but we will do so when, you know, January, February, when the, the, the ads will be a little bit cheaper. Um, but uh, we have... Um, you know, word of mouth, that's what helped us a lot. So when people get something for free, which is very high quality, they forward to everyone they know. And we have it, um, people saying us all the time, um, email us and say, thank you so much. I told all the parents in the school, I told all my teachers. And that's the thing, that's what you want. Um, you want the word of mouth and recommendation from other people because that's the number one um, kind of trusted source. When you get recommended something, uh, when a friend recommends you something, you listen, right? And that's a completely different situation versus you seeing an ad on Facebook from a company you've never heard of. Um, so the word of mouth is very big uh, with this strategy. Got it. So out of the 200,000 plus subscribers you have, would you be able to break down like what percentage of it is driven through Facebook ads versus what's basically word of mouth and people just forwarding uh, the, the opt-in page to each other? Um, I, I have no idea. I don't think, I, I don't even know how to detect those numbers. <laughs> sure. Got it. So yeah, we'll, we'll move on to, I want to talk about your Facebook group because that's also grown. It's grown to 60,000 members and that took one year. Uh, which is very fast. What what led to the growth of this? How did you how did you implement this into your your entire marketing uh, process? So Facebook group, yes, it it has grown to sixty thousand uh, members, and uh, we have a person dedicated to this Facebook group whose entire job is to manage it, and we take it very seriously. Um, we have um, you know specific kind of. Uh, uh, specific topics that we discuss in this group and nothing else, uh, which means that we sometimes decline the conversation, you know, the questions from our members just because we want to stay very focused. We're not general parenting group. We're very specific. We're about the mindset, the growth mindset. So, um, and uh, we have 
Facebook Lives a weekly, sometimes more than uh, once a week. We invite experts uh, to speak to our group members and ask questions. We have a guest coach who is a parenting coach who does weekly lives in the group. Um, and then we have, um, you know, we actually had a book club in the group. We, we paused for the holidays a little bit because people are so busy. Nobody, you know, has time to read books nowadays during October, November, December. But we had a book club. So we take this group um as just you know as, as an investment like we invest in it um and um you know our time effort and money and we make it very high quality and people people loving it I, I think that your 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 uh, basically your moderation is important. Where you are, it sounds like you have a, a the the setup where you are require each question, each post to be reviewed and approved before it gets posted. Did you always do it this way, or like if you're just start, someone just starting out a Facebook group for the first time, is that a good approach? Or do you recommend just letting anyone, everyone, just post whatever they want to start? Yes, I I um, highly recommend to make this group a private group, and that that that's automatically um, requires people to go through this like screening process of their questions. Uh, we have an, we have a few admins uh, who screen the questions, and then we have moderators who are professionals. So let's say you know they are all volunteers, but they would be like parenting coaches or therapists who volunteer to moderate the group, meaning that they want to make sure we make sure that everybody's question is answered, um, and they kind of facilitate positive discussion. Um, and I highly recommend to make sure that your questions are actually on the on topic because the 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 variety of questions that we get is is very large. Like you know, on on people talking about you know kids not being able to fall asleep or picky eaters, like nothing related to what we are talking right uh, about. So you need to make sure if you're creating group which is very specific uh, about your specific product or topic, uh, you need to make sure that that focus always remains. Got it. And one one thing that I've seen in groups is that sometimes or some groups, it's very centered around like, you know, the quote unquote, the leader, the admin and their personality. But you said that you have a bunch of different people coming in to contribute. You have experts and coaches and everything. How do you make sure that the, the branding is cohesive when you have different members of the team hopping in and, and, and essentially getting the, the spotlight in the group? Um, so it, it it is a good question. We do have um, you know our team members that actually you know part of Grow, Big Life Journal team, um, you know doing different uh, lives or not only even Facebook group but also on Instagram, which we're all all very active on our Instagram as well. So we do um, have different team members going live on different various uh, times of the week and um, doing different um, you know kind of uh, we call them segments. We almost like think of the, ourselves as a TV channel. <laughs> um, and I think that that's a very good way to think of yourself as a brand nowadays. If you want to, you know, when you create a content, you almost like have to think of yourself that way. So you are a TV channel. You are um, a production company that you're producing a lot of content. Um, so for you to produce a lot of content usually takes more than one person. Um, and what we did is, for example, we have one team member who does 
Mindset Mondays. So that's her task. And, and our community is used to seeing her on Mondays when she goes live, um, when she posts in stories on Instagram, um, talking about one specific kind of like tip for parents to develop, uh, to help raise their kids with the right mindset. So we call it Mindset Mondays. We have another team member who comes out on Wednesdays and her TV program is called uh, Challenge Wednesdays. <laughs> and she da- and again, our community is used to seeing her on Wednesdays and she does her like little show when she gives the um, parents one challenge that week. Um, and then we have, you know, every Sunday we actually have uh, consistently behind the scenes where every single team member we rotate and we show, um, you know, behind the scenes of our lives so that community is used to seeing all the team members um, and kind of getting used to, you know, all the faces. And I, I feel like today when you have to create so much content, um, you know, if you maybe and you as a person who is running the business and, um, you know, you probably don't have that much time to do it all yourself and if you're lucky to have team or a couple of people who help you i encourage you to engage them in that as well got it so the facebook group it seems like it requires a lot more investment than than the email channel and you you probably hate this question but i want to ask anyway if you had to choose just one especially for entrepreneurs that are out there that are just getting started for the first time which one should they focus on should they focus on building a group or building out an email list well, email list is everything for your business, um, you know, because Facebook email list is something that you own um, and, you know, you you have a control of email list, whereas the Facebook can change the policy tomorrow like they did in early in 2018 where they decided not to share business posts organically anymore. Um, so anytime they, they do something, maybe they will tomorrow decide that Facebook groups are no longer, right? So, um, and you just completely, if you depend on that, you will, uh, you know, you will be devastated, devastated. So I recommend to focus on email list if that's the only thing you can do because you own that list. Got it. So you, we, we talked about the first two Kickstarters and the third one is the one that's most impressive, which has raised over $200,000, over, over 5,200 backers for that, for that one. What, what was the reason for this one to, to essentially five times, right? Five times your, your, your past Kickstarter campaign. Like why was this so much more successful? Um, it was very successful for many reasons. One reason is the first reason is because um, when we created the Journal for Children, that was our first major product. Um, from the day one, from day one, people are starting asking us for the same thing, but for teens. <laughs> um, so I never had an idea of creating a, teen, a journal for teens. Never, never thought I would. Um, but there were so many requests and people continuously asking us to do, to create something for older children. Um, so what we did was that, okay, well, we're going to create a sign up uh, page on our website where we can just say for teens and we can say, you know, the journal, journal for teens is coming. Sign up if you're interested. <laughs> so uh, we didn't run any ads to that page. No um, lead magnet. It was literally just that, you know, people who come to our website, they see that tab which says for teens and then they sign up there if they're interested. So that's how we're like building our email list over the course of the year. So, it, you know, kind of started very early. Um, and, and then we started, um, 
you know, once we had the email list and when we already had a very large community, our Facebook group was already pretty large and the Instagram uh, community was pretty large, we started, ex- um, you know, kind of a process of getting people excited. So we were started sharing the process of building, of creating a journal, giving, um, asking people for feedback. We, we had numerous polls where we were asking people to vote on the cover. Uh, we were asking people to ask their teens to give us feedback. So it was like a, like a lot of um, interaction with our community. So people knew that we were working on it. So they were excited and were asking us, you know, when, when, when is it coming? Um, and then, of course, when we launched, we were funded in 45 minutes. Um, wow. So it was, yes, it was, <laughs> it was just unbelievable. And, um, you know, the entire campaign that we ran um, zero Facebook ads, or maybe like, I don't know, $100 Facebook ads or something very little. Um, and everything else was just organic. Yeah, once it starts taking off on Kickstarter, they'll just start promoting it more for you because of the traction that you got, especially funding in 45 minutes. Yeah, but I wouldn't I wouldn't count on Kickstarter um, that much because even if we were chosen by Kickstarter's project we love and and they did put us in a couple of newsletters, but uh, and um, there people hoping people who run uh, Kickstarter campaigns uh, think that if they get chosen by Kickstarter, their campaign will be successful. That is not true because mm. the very first campaign that we were created, we failed. We were also chosen by Kickstarter's project we love, and we still failed it. So it's not. Um, it gives you a little bit of of kind of boost, but um, actually not that much. Well, it's good to know that Kickstarter at least doesn't uh, only promote you one time. Even if you weren't successful yes. the first time, they're still willing to do it a second time. That's great to hear. So I'm looking at the site and they're looking at the different products that you're offering. So the journal we talked about. One thing that's interesting is that you also sell uh, you sell some principal kits. Talk to us about that. Like what is What are the principal kits and how are they different than the free principles? They are the same. So basically what we do is we share one printable each week. And then over the course of, you know, a few months when we collect enough, we just put them together in a kit and put them in our store. So when people sign up to our newsletter, their frequent, you know, frequent question that we get is how can I get a hold of the past printables? And we direct them to our shop. Oh, I like that. That, That's a great approach. And usually before you were just like sending them, we're not able to provide them the the past emails or something, but now you you present it all together, group together for them as a part mm-hmm. of a kit. Yep, makes sense. So once you once you guys were able to, to launch on Kickstarter, get over two hundred thousand dollars in the last campaign, the one before that, uh, forty five thousand dollars. Can you talk to us a little bit about the the growth outside of that? Can you share any 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 figures, any numbers on, on how much you've been able to grow the business outside of Kickstarter? Um, yeah, I mean, so the first year with um, our very first year, which was not even 12 months, um, we made um, $1 million in revenue. And that was last year. And this year, we're going to grow over 300%. That's amazing. What, what do you think is the, the reason for that inflection point where you went, you're going from a million to now 300% growth for, from there? Like, what, what, was the, what do you think is the reason for that kind of growth? Um, I mean, so many things. <laughs> um, it's just uh, the amount of sh- like sheer amount of work that we put in, and then we produced. I mean, in 2017, we had a journal, one journal, and then we had one printable kit, and one poster, and then in 2018, I don't even know how many products we have now. We have two journals, and then we have six posters. We have numerous printable kits. I mean, just the amount of products it's themselves, you know, itself, it just um, drives revenue, and then um, you know our focus on uh, providing value and building, you know, like we're saying, 
uh, before we kind of consider ourselves as a media production company and producing as much content as we can um, and growing our social media channels. And, you know, all of this together, that's all, you know, you have to do many different things to grow your business, not just one. Definitely. So when it comes to running a business, can you talk a little bit about the, the apps or tools that you or your team relies on to, to help run the business? Um, so we use um, several uh, different tools. We use Slack. Uh, that's a very popular tool. It just uh, allows our team to communicate, to chat. It's basically just a, a, a internal chat. Um, and we use uh, uh, Trello. Uh, Trello is a project management tool. It's free um, and you can use it for different purposes. You can use it as a project management or you can use it as us. We just store our ideas. Let's say for, you know, we're searching ideas for printables because we have to produce one every week. Um, mm -hmm. So we definitely need a lot of um kind of input and ideas. So we have all team members, you know, if, kind of taking pictures of postcards and taking pictures and saving things from Pinterest and something they saw on Instagram and kind of, um, you know, putting all ideas into in Trello. Um, and we have uh, Asana. Asana is a project management tool that we, we have a calendar, you know, tasks and what people are working on. Um, and uh, we use Canva. Um, Canva is also a very popular tool that's uh, for design. Even though we don't necessarily produce our final uh, designs in Canva anymore because we kind of upgraded from Canva a little bit. Um, but when we sketch the printables, um, you know, we kind of like have ideas of how, the, how would, what to, like if it's a poster, like what's supposed to be on the on this poster, what kind of words, what kind of images, we use Canva. You know, it's very similar, it's convenient. You don't have to install anything on your computer and all the team members have access to that kind of image right away at the same time so they can, you know, you can share easily and give feed, get feedback from each other. Um, yeah, so these are the tools we're using. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Alexandra. So biglifejournal.com is a website. Where do you want to see the business grow over the next year? Like, what are some of the things that you guys are focused on as a team? Um, so 2019 is going to be very different from us. We're going to start a podcast. Um, and this is another thing which uh, we're, it's way overdue. <laughs> um, so mm -hmm. podcast for kids and parents. And we want to make it a very good, you know, like a, a serious production, especially uh, the the podcast for kids to make it interesting and engaging. Um, and we want to invest more into uh, content creation. Creation. So as I mentioned that, you know, we, we just kind of produce as much as we can today. Um, we invite all these different experts and we have uh, guest coaches that produce content for us. But I think that we're still not doing enough. I, I feel like that's the way that you stand out um, today is you actually just, it's an investment, right? You might not see the return today or tomorrow, but it's the way to build your brand. Um, and, and that's, you know, kind of our 2019 focus. Awesome. Thank you so much again for your time. No problem. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. To get your exclusive 30-day extended trial, visit shopify.com slash masters.